what I'm trying to show my students is you the goal is to keep growing. That's the goal. And I'm I'm trying to set that as an example that I'm much better than I was 10, 20, 30 years ago, both as a te technically as a trumpet player and musically. And I'm trying to do new and different things and grow that way. And that's what they should be focused on. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Joey Tartell. Joey, well, he's one of a kind. Never one to let popular conventions limit him. Joey is not only well-respected in the jazz world as a dazzling lead player, but is also a highly accomplished classical musician and founding member of the trumpet ensemble Tromba Mundi. Joey is a passionate educator who's never at a loss for words and is dedicated to his personal calling to rid the world of bad trumpet playing. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Oh, I am so excited today for this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang because I am joined by one of the greatest gurus of all time, the one and only Joey Tartell. Joey, my friend, it is so good to see you and all of your illustrious pinkness there. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. You wore oh, pink. Did you wear the pink shirt just for me? That I wore this good. just for you, dude. I, just for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, you, know, I, you, you and I, you know, we, we, we have a history, um, you know, not, not, a, not a super long one, not a super deep one. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we do like to hang and get together and, and talk a lot of nonsense. I mean, really, tr technically hang because it's more than just about trumpet talk. It's a lot of sports. It's a lot of uh, things like that. So, um, you know, just good to catch up with you. So, Joey, let me, add, let me just start with this. What has been on your calendar uh, now that we're finally getting back to being out and performing again? It, uh, well, it has been great to get out performing again just recently. I just got back from the International Trumpet Guild Conference, which was last week. Now, sometimes when you go to things like that, you get to do either, you, you know, you're there to attend and have a good time or you might play with something. I ended up busy last week, which was really great. Uh, I, I did a classical recital. I decided to do something called Seven Horns in 60 Minutes because, you know, that seemed like a good idea until I figured out I had to fly with seven horns. Yeah. Genius move. And then uh, I was playing the Saturday night concert. Uh, it was a big band thing with Jens Lindemann, which was a, a real gas. But this was the funniest thing I did last week. The Navy Commodores, you know, the jazz band there. Um, one of their lead players couldn't make the trip, and they they were doing a clinic on lead trumpet playing. So they asked if I would sit in. And if you haven't seen me recently, uh, it's very clear I'm not active duty, uh, so my hair is long, but that was recent. But uh, I will tell you, the stuff that's been going on has been has been great. Uh, I do a lot of uh, pops orchestra work. So there are orchestras around the country that will say, hey, that's not exactly orchestral trumpet playing, and I have good relationships with the, the, the trumpet principal trumpets and the trumpet sections, and there's that's been coming back a little bit. So I've been playing with the St. Louis Symphony. I've been playing with the uh, – I'll be back with the Pittsburgh Symphony next month. Uh, which is a lot of fun. And if you're anywhere near Pittsburgh, if you don't know, um, they hired Byron Stripling last year as their principal pops conductor. So uh -huh. 
you you got Byron. If you don't, you know, if you haven't heard Byron, you just need to hear Byron. So he he's a conductor, and of course he'll sing and he'll play. And a lot of times it's very big bandy. And that trumpet section led now by Michael Wilkinson, who's a great principal trumpet player. It's like, why don't we just? This is a big band thing. Let's get you to come in, and I'm always happy to come and do that. Yeah, well, that's cool. That that sounds really good. I mean, I, how did how did you cope with the downtime? I mean, I know everybody uh, had different strategies and different things that they did. You know, uh, uh, like Rex Richardson really dove deep into his uh, hundred days of practice thing, and yeah, right. uh, yeah. So we had all these guys doing all their practice videos. Uh, Trent Austin was another person who was just putting out like tons of content with that. And, you know, some people just actually got into a major funk and they didn't really do much of anything. Um, yeah. so what did you do? It was really uh, so hard for so many people. But there's uh, when I saw what was happening to some of my friends, especially you know, those who are making their livings as freelancers or, you know, in the big cities where everything, you know, if you're playing Broadway and then suddenly that you're just all done, you're playing a major symphony orchestra and then you're just sort of done. I have a full time teaching job. You know, I teach trumpet at Indiana University. So I sat back and went okay, all things being equal, I, I've got it really good. So I'm not complaining. And this is actually when uh, I got together with my friends, uh, Bill Stoneman and Brian Appleby Weinberg. We had originally planned to do a uh, trip to England and talk to some uh, cornet guys over there and talk about the pedagogy of that to compare with how we sort of think of trumpet pedagogy in the United States and how they think of pedagogy in, in England and see how many similarities, how many differences and how that goes down. We had it all set up ready to go. And thought, well, this would be like maybe a maybe a 10-part sort of thing. And then, well, we can't go. So this is what started our podcast. So that kept us sort of plugged in and so we could get that up and running. And then, you know, I'm a practice guy. So I'm still in here practicing every day. And But having the teaching job and mostly, you know, there was times where it, where it was all happening online, which led me to get a little better, better setup here so I could do that more effectively, which has continued. Now when students want to check out IU, they're like, we do like a Zoom thing. And with a good setup, I can do okay. It's still not as good as being in person. But uh, having the, you know, having, I thought there has never been a better time in the world to have a full-time teaching job, which, of course, I love having and love doing. But that kept me sort of rooted in I'm still doing my job. It's just everything. I watched my calendar, performance calendar, like everyone, just empty out and thought, okay, well, what do I want to practice? What do I want to do? You know. So started the podcast, started writing some things and, you know, doing some recordings of my things as well. Get, you know, keeping yourself busy because it, it you know, dropping into that funk was a reasonable thing. It was really hard. So uh, I managed to, to stay out of that. Uh, I always want to think about what's going to be coming on, what's next, what's next, what's next. And so the podcast was next, the online stuff being next. So I keep, you know, keep myself busy just in a different way. Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, I definitely want to get uh, circle back to the podcast in a minute. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, I was actually having a conversation uh, recently with someone about something completely different, but yes, you know, all the same. That um, a lot of times we deal with uh, anxiety and disappointment because we tie our definition of success to a specific outcome. And when we either attain that outcome or we don't attain the outcome in many cases, then we have these feelings of, of disappointment. And I was just saying how, for me, it was changing my mindset from thinking about this is specifically what I want to accomplish to this is the process that I want to go through. So these are, you know, these are the things that I want to right. do on a kind of a, the habits I want to create in my life and, and the kind of life I want to live as opposed to, you know, just doing this single thing. So um, you know, when you're saying you like, you are a practice guy, 
I know so many players who, if they don't have gigs, whether it be because, you know, the uh, health issue or an environmental issue, then they don't practice, you know, right. uh, and they, they get bummed out and they just don't want to practice because I don't have anything to practice for, as opposed to the reason I'm practicing is because practice is what I want to do, you know, practice is me. So um, I think that's a really interesting uh, thought, uh, you know, so for something, something for people to think about. Uh, and as an, as an educator, um, how do you go about instilling or trying to help people to understand that the practice is the key to their, uh, you know, their eventual ability to create a career out of being a trumpet player, as opposed to just attaining a specific set of, of skills? It, that's, it's a great question. And, and it's a, one, I, one of the most important things I'm trying to do, the idea of if you want to exactly what you said, if you're if you think, well, if I could just get this job, well, then I'll be good and I'll be happy and everything will be done. And what's unfortunate, I, I do this in a number of ways. I'll start with the silly. Um, what I've tried to what I thought if I was naive in any way when I was young, it was in thinking, hey, eventually I'm going to get a job. And then I'll get a better job if I'm good, if I get better and I get a better job. And eventually I'll get to that job where it's all unicorns and rainbows and everybody's the best and it's so good and there's no bad side. And there is no job that is that. There are people sitting in everybody's dream jobs that are unhappy in those jobs. So you might think, and this is what I finally figured out, and especially playing with lots and lots of orchestras, every professional organization, every dream gig that anybody's listening to this has is just like middle school band. They're all middle school band. So there's the person who's like sucking up to the teacher. There's like, hey, you forgot to give us homework. And there's the person, why, how are they even here? And then there are lots of people who are really positive and trying to do that. But that those dynamics are the same everywhere. So the outcome, if you're outcome-based, then what happens when you achieve, right? So I'll use myself as an example. I was very fortunate in a number of ways and um, maybe more so than most in this way. I got to play lead trumpet on Maynard Ferguson's band, and I was 27 years old. So then what? You know, so you get, I get off of Maynard's band, and it's like, well, that's pretty much what I wanted to do. I guess I'm retired now. But this is where we're better in career goals and should be than athletes. You know, we're both sports fans. And I'll tell you that uh, the two athletes that are I, I followed that were exactly my age. They're Troy Aikman, who was the quarterback with the uh, Dallas Cowboys, won three Super Bowls, and pretty much had to retire in his mid-30s because, you know, he's getting knocked around pretty hard. And Mike Tyson, actually, and I are the same age. I remember seeing him on the cover of Sports Illustrated, this new 18-year-old. I'm like, hey, I'm 18. So I was following these guys. Well, you know, we're in our mid-50s now. I'm still practicing getting better, very excited about the stuff I'm able to do. Now they're in the position of talking about those things. So it's so much better. So it, it, what I'm trying to show my students is you. the goal is to keep growing. That's the goal. And I'm, I'm trying to set that as an example, that I'm much better than I was 10, 20, 30 years ago, both as a te technically as a trumpet player and m musically. And I'm trying to do new and different things and grow that way. And that's what they should be focused on. You know, this year uh, we had two trumpet ensembles from IU that went up to the national trumpet competition. They're really excited getting out there, and they hadn't really we don't we haven't always had a large presence there. And I was explaining to them, here is your goal. Your goal is to go there, play your best, and then enjoy the whole thing. And they said, well, what about winning? So it has nothing to do with it. 
you know, 10 years from now, it doesn't really matter who won. 10 years from now, it's going to matter. Do you, do you remember the experience? Did you have a good time? Did you meet some people? Do you have some people that you, you hang out with? And it's the same with auditions. And as frustrating as it is for, for you know, young students uh, or even, you know, like my doctoral students looking at college jobs, when you go, if you take that audition and you were, you showed who you were during that day, if you didn't get the job, that's just not your job. And yeah, that can be frustrating, but better that you didn't get something that wasn't going to be a good fit. That just means that wasn't the right fit for you and you move on because you're not in charge of that part. So the goal is always perpetual growth, perpetual growth, perpetual growth. The goal isn't, I just want to win that gig. And if you do that right, it's amazing how many of those kind of gigs end up happening anyway. Yeah. yeah. And uh, your stress level goes way down. Like, <laughs> right. Way down. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about the, uh, that approach of, you know, it's, it's not about winning. Uh, yeah. And which is so funny, you know, coming from, from sports fans, like we are, because, you know, a, a team is always the, the, the greatness of a team, or like you're talking about Aikman, you know, like a quarterback, particularly you're always measured by your wins. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's what determines your greatness. Uh, and um, you know, your failures are often, um, you know, they can capsize your career really right. quick. Um, and I think with trumpet playing, it, I mean, it, it's, it seems to be the same thing, obviously, you know, that, that uh, your failures definitely, you know, your crash and burns in a piece can sometimes outweigh all of the great stuff that you've done, which is so frustrating because, I mean, you could play 99% of a piece perfectly and you just you cack one note and and suddenly you feel that way and then often uh from a a, a pedagogical uh approach or uh you know point of view uh that you know that becomes the thing that the teacher is harping on you about you know and it's not necessarily about you know helping you to grow it's just like i mean you, you know you're screwed up you need to fix that stuff so you know as a teacher how do you help uh, your students to balance that drive of pushing their levels of doing their best but without that negative baggage that comes along with the i can't make a mistake i can't fail i can't you know the, all, all the negatives that that sometimes creep into our our psyche i mean what's your approach to that uh, my approach is it, it's very straightforward and i think language is important i am that 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 friend that corrects people's grammar and corrects their spelling and text threads so but word choice is important and, and exactly what you just said is what happens so much i can't i can't i can't so I, often we'll finish a uh, student will finish playing say all right so tell me what you think of that well this was bad and this was bad and this was bad I'm like wow I, I actually thought most of that was really good so you got to start with being honest. You got to actually be, and this is where recording yourself is always great. And everybody says this because it's true. Record yourself, listen back and think, okay, what went well? And then what would you like to improve? And then how you think about how you're going to improve that becomes important. Because if you think, I, I better not make that mistake, that's a negative. And as soon as you're thinking of a negative, you got no shot. You have to be thinking in the positive. So instead of thinking, I'm not doing this, I, what are you going to do? So I will say to students, all right, so what are you going to do the next time? Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not going to miss that note. Well, I didn't ask you what you're not going to do. I'm asking what you're going to do. All right, so what's the adjustment, either musically or technically, in a positive sense? You always have to be thinking about what you're going to do. Because, you know, And I use this all the time. So if I tell you, don't think of pink elephants, what's the first thing in your head? Pink elephants, then you, this is trumpet playing. 
You're thinking, don't miss that note, don't miss that note, don't miss that note, don't miss that note. How did I miss that note again? Well, that's all you're focusing on is miss that note. That's just brain wiring. So you always have to be thinking in the word choice and the word, how you think about it is always in the positive. What are you going to do? Where is your focus? Your focus has to be on the positive of how you're conceiving of that technically, musically, so that then you have a shot. Now, we're trumpet players. We're going to miss notes. <laughs> and that's the other part, knowing that. You know, we've all been in those pieces, recitals, performances where you go in with this idea. All right. This time it's going to be perfect. This time it matters. Now it counts. I'm going to nail this. So the first mistake, what happens? Then you think, oh, no, what happened? So now you're already looking backwards, which then means second mistake. Oh, no, now what happened? Now you're still looking backwards. I refer to this as the spiraling pit of despair because that just leads you <laughs> round, 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 round. If, you, if you're thinking, and I tell my students this going into recitals, remember, you're about to play an hour's worth of music you're going to make some mistakes. That does not mean it's not going to be a great recital. If you play musically and you play, you know, well, yeah, guess what? You're still going to, you know, have a couple of mistakes and it can still be great. So don't worry when those happen, not, and think if they happen, they're going to happen. You know, I pl played an hour long recital last week. I definitely missed some notes. Generally speaking, the recital went well. Yeah. You got to, so it's always thinking in the positive, always thinking in the positive. Otherwise, you're just going to be you're going to be miserable all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, that that kind of reminds me of a story that, uh, you know, you're talking about Maynard uh, playing with Maynard uh, earlier. Uh, and this was uh, the perfect ju juxtaposition of uh, the Maynard influence and the sports influence. Uh, he was talking about uh, the fear of playing high notes. And this is <laughs> this is back in the 70s. Sure. Know? And uh and, and he was saying, you know, so many players are afraid of missing a note. And he, and he used the analogy of Reggie Jackson, you know, mm -hmm. Mr. October. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back then, um, if you had a batting average of, well, even now, if you have a batting average of 300, you know, that's, that's pretty good. You know, it, that's nothing to, to laugh about. Yeah. And, um, you know, he used that as example, said, you know, here, here he is the, the highest paid player in baseball. Of course, right now that, that salary was, is nothing compared to what these guys <laughs> are getting paid. But then, you know, this guy's getting paid, you know, a million dollars to hit three of every 10 pitches that come across the plate. Right. You know, the odds are you're hitting more than, than 300. You're batting more than 300 when you're on stage. So don't be afraid of just going for it, swing for the fences, basically. So uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. Um, now, I know that we have had this discussion before uh, that a lot of people equate trumpet playing with athletics, and you have a different slant on that. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I, I see the musicians are athletes, and we're all like, it's athletic. And and, and we're not. We're, we're I think of us as artists. Now, there's a lot of overlap in how we train and prepare like how we practice and how we go. But in music, there's no defense. You know, like there is nobody running at me trying to stop me from playing the high G on the last note. It's all on me. So the idea of, I want us to think of as that we're artists. And so really what we're trying to do is, and I grew up in Texas in a highly competitive atmosphere. You know, I mean, I remember those, you know, district and region band things are all I was thinking in that moment is, I got to go win. And boy, when I got to college, and was like, when do I go win now? And they're like, that's not what happens. Uh, you're going to be in that group and 
go to rehearsal on Monday. And it was, it took a while to kind of recalibrate. And boy, I didn't realize how much my head was wrapped up in that, which wasn't helping, you know, because what it was really doing was just trying to make me compare to others rather than figure out what I want to sound like. Because if you're thinking, well, I need to be better than, how do you do that? Because even back to sports, right? You're right when they talk about wins and losses are what dictate how great you are. But boy, is somebody going to tell me that like John Stockton and uh, and Carl Malone weren't great because they never won a title? Not true. Charles Barkley never won a title. Not true. Dan Marino got to a Super Bowl in his second year, never got back. These are Hall of Fame players because it's a team game where the same thing with music. If you're in an ensemble, this is a team thing. Even as a soloist, it's much more important for you to think, I want to grow and get better so that I can actually be a musician not i want to be better than that next person so i really as much as the training part is similar i'm up early every morning and i'm practicing the fundamentals which could be like you know weight training and then i get into the music which is like running plays and you know there's similar ways in which we practice but when we get to the performance part of this this is much more about art than it should be about competition so i want to think of us as artists not as athletes all right. Well, I uh, I appreciate your your stance on that. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the one thing I love about you, Joey. You, uh, you know, you, you rarely speak your mind. Uh, you <laughs> shy, retiring type. Yeah, I know. That's you. That's you. That's yeah. you. Right, to a T. Um, no, but I think that that's really great because there is that stigma that's attached to competition. And like for myself, when I was, when I was a competitive martial artist, I mean, I equate that a lot more with music uh, than I do football or basketball, for example, because for me in that training process, it was the competition for me was more about how do I push my level the next time I say, I'm going to you know train as hard as I can. I'm going to perform. I'm going to get my results get my scores. Uh, now the next time I go out, can I fix the things that I, that I kind of goofed on this last time. And it was more about, uh, my personal development than it was about trying to beat anybody. As a matter of fact, I made a lot of great friends during that because we were all like excited to see each other. And, uh, you know, when, when someone beat you one time, it's like, Oh man, what have you been training on? I'm going to train on that too. I'm going to, yeah. And it was just that every time we saw each other, it was, it was, um, motivation to up our own personal game in our practice, as opposed to trying to worry about beating that person that's trying to beat your personal best. So, um, and to me that, that was kind of the connection, but I think that when we're, when we're looking at the way that, that, the school systems, you know, whether it be, you know, middle school, high school, even collegiate, uh, when there's so much pressure about, as you said earlier, like, you know, winning the audition or winning the competition, uh, it can, it can kind of sucks the joy out of playing. Oh, absolutely. And listen, we, I encourage my students to go to competitions and we have auditions every semester for placement. So it's part of the system. It's, it's, it's how in large parts you're, you can end up, you know, getting a job. But what I'm saying, I, I think the, the way to succeed there is exactly what you were talked about there with the martial arts, which is, okay, how do I increase? Because when you, let's say you grew up in the middle of nowhere 
and you're practicing and you're thinking, all right, I'm doing really, really well, then you can go to a competition and see who else is doing this. This is the, one of the reasons I, I tell my students, you should absolutely go to competitions not to win, but to see who else is doing what you're doing and, and meet them, which is a great way to then see what else is out there and perhaps even pick up some stuff. Because, boy, I, you know, I went to college with a lot of really, really great trumpet players. There'd be times where I would lean in a room and say, hey, can I talk through this? And Or somebody would do the same with me, which was amazing to have around. This is the hard, uh, the hard line to walk, and I think we're doing a pretty good job here at IU right now, which is we have a lot of really, really good trumpet players. We want them to... to work as a collective you know we know we're no you know don't think we know not everybody gets along and are our best friends but the idea of yeah we're going to go out there and we're all going to go do our thing but while we're here we should all be getting from each other as well i just saw last week uh somebody walked over and said oh do you know do you know paul and it was paul Marcello. now paul Marcello is principal trumpet of the montreal symphony he teaches up at mcgill we did our undergrad together. He was right behind me at Eastman. So I said, are you kidding? We just both laughed. We're like, we went to school together. And they went, wait, how is it? This is how it works. There's plenty of stuff out there. So we were telling some stories and took a couple of pictures. It was great. We haven't seen each other in a long time. But that those people you went to school with and you could say, hey, you're working. You sound great on that. What do you do? And you're doing great on that. You should get that even though you are in a, I guess, literal technical sense could be competing for the same jobs. It shouldn't feel like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's a really good point. I think that, uh, you know, we can learn in so many different aspects and, and from so many different people. And it's kind of having that humility to be there and to, to say to somebody like, no, you know, you really sound great on this aspect of your playing or on, on the way you interpreted this piece. How are you doing this? What are you working on? How are you approaching it? And and being able to glean little bits of information that you can use and you can synthesize and make it part of what else, you know, the, the things that you're doing. And I know that you work so closely with so many great players. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously teaching, but, you know, some of the stuff that you've been doing, not only with like the pops and stuff, but, but uh, you know, with Tromba, uh, you know, you, you're hanging out with some really, uh, some great players, uh, yeah. you know, uh, JC, uh, yeah. Doman, um, and that belt guy. I mean, he's okay, I guess. He's, but. he's, uh, he's okay. We, we're doing our best to keep him down. So. Yeah, you know, you, you got to have that one guy, you know. Right. So, <laughs> but no, everybody there, they're just all such great players, and you guys all seem to genuinely get along, and I pick up, like, you're influencing each other in very subtle ways way sometimes not so Some, subtle. sometimes not so subtle right uh, the trumpet money thing which is now 15 years old our trumpet ensemble i mean it started with a couple of guys going uh what have we got together recorded this stuff all right do you know somebody you know somebody all right so n none of us knew all five of us when we started so well let's try it out and do this and we all just divide it up to parts and and this has turned into one of the great musical joys of my life. Like there's six of us now and exactly right. So you've got JC and uh, Brian and Bill and Scott and John. These have turned into some of my best friends in the world, even though, well, Scott and I live about two and a half hours apart, but we're all over the country. We do our best to get together about once a year. Like we'll find a time to get together, rehearse and do a tour or recording or both. But exactly what you're talking about, everybody brings 
we're all professional trumpet players. We bring slightly different things to the table. So it's, I think all of us easily recognize, hey, certainly I'm a professional trumpet player and I'm good. And that person also has this, that's really cool. Hey, you do that, that's really cool. Hey, you do that, that's really cool. That's the benefit where I think in if that goes wrong is the idea of, hey, but I want to be playing first and I'm better than you, which of course isn't a thing in our group. So, uh, but it, that's the benefit of being, is working with people and recognizing, hey, you've got some strengths that I don't have. You've done some things that I haven't done. That's great. How do you do that? What do you bring? It's, and it's an amazing part of the group. Yeah, cool. And you guys, you know, you sound great. And uh, it, it is very apparent that you enjoy being with each other uh, when you're on stage. So, you know, if you haven't had a chance to, to check uh, Tech Tromba Monday out, make sure you, uh, they're doing something in your area, you check it out, uh, purchase their music. Uh, we'll put some links in the show notes. So, uh, sure. Yeah, we got four CDs out there. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. Did you get your Grammy yet? Yeah, that, I, I, I I figure they must just be uh, there must be some conspiracy there that we haven't broken through there. Yeah, okay. I mean, because you know what people are really clamoring for is is all trumpet instrumental music. So. I, you know, there should be a separate category for that, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Where is the trumpet ensemble category? Exactly. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So boy, when you talk about chamber music, I, people seem to like string quartets, and come on, it's been done. Yeah, I, I know it's, that's old hat. That, that's exactly. like so. Uh, so 17th century. Uh, so anyway, um, let's talk about your podcast for a second. So sure. uh, speaking of uh, of Bill and um, you know, who, who you know, it's so funny. He only lives about 45 minutes from me. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, I, and I never see him. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. never. Yeah. So, I mean, not even like, you know, at a grocery store or gas station or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe if I hang out at donut shops more often, I'd I'd see him there. Or or take up cycling. So No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) I I look too funny in those shorts, man. That's just. Oh, I don't wear wear the shorts. That's not a thing. (laughs) That's just way wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, you, uh, you guys started your podcast and much like me, it, this was kind of a, it started during the COVID, uh, craze. Um, although it wasn't planned that way, it just kind of, that's, that's the way things uh, kind of washed out. But, um, yeah, you know, you've got some really great stuff on there. And again, the, the camaraderie shows through and the, the humor, um, I was listening to an episode recently uh, where you guys were doing uh, uh, the the Jeopardy. The uh... <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bill, Bill was torturing us. Yes, yes, with the uh, uh, there's some great stuff in there. But um, it, it's a really good combination of just you know stupid trumpet talk uh, with really informative, some some very deep uh, and insightful discussion. So. Um, you know, what, what is your vision for that podcast? Hey, where, where do you see this going? What would you like to see happen with it? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Well, I mean, what you said is is pretty close. You know, we uh, when we're starting this, the three of us, like I said, it started off as kind of a larger project. We went, well, we can't do the England thing. Why don't we do something? We kind of started talking, like, how would this work? And, you know, I always think about, well, what would it look like? And maybe this is just watching way too many sitcoms growing up. But I thought, you know, I kind of think of the one, two, three act, right? So we're going to have a little warm-up segment where I'll just kind of say what we're doing, what's on our minds have something we want to talk about, right? And that's, so the, it is a little loose at the beginning and, and at the end where we kind of, we usually try and poke some fun somewhere. But the middle of that is supposed to be good information. We want to get good information out there. And this comes from all of us have a certain amount of frustration, probably me more than the other two guys, Brian and Bill, with how much bad information that we see on the internet, especially aimed at young trumpet players. You know, the idea of, hey, all you have to do is buy the secret mouthpiece, or, you know, all you have to do is, if you buy my book and play these exercises, then everything's going to be good. Now, the hard part is, there's a lot of really good stuff out there as well. But if you're a young trumpet player, and you, you know, maybe you don't have access to some good instruction, or, or know some people that can help you disseminate the difference on that information, how do you tell? So, uh, and without going on there and bashing other people, although a couple of times maybe we've come close, um, we're not out there to bash other people. We're out there to say, we're experts in this area. We're, all three of us have been teaching for a long time and performing for a long time in, in different avenues. So we, we think we bring a lot there. And we think if you look us up and think, okay, well, those are longtime trumpet players and trumpet teachers, I'm going to give them a shot that we can give you some essentially fundamentally sound advice about how to go forward. And really, that's the big driving force behind it is we want to have some place where people can just drop in and say, all right, well, if we're thinking about, you know, auditions or nerves or, you know, some books to think about, we've got episodes on that. And you can just tune in and say, okay, got it. That makes sense. And I don't think we're reinventing a wheel, but we're trying to make sure that good information is out there precisely because there's so much bad. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but some of the most uh, influential and successful trumpet teachers of the generation slightly older than, than I am, they're not online at all. So when you think, like my teachers, I said with Barbara Butler and Charlie Guyer as my undergrads, and they're still teaching and doing great work at Rice, they're not doing stuff online. So guess what? Instead of getting that great information that they've been putting out there, other people will step in to fill that void that may not be, or they'll say, well, what you're really doing is, uh, so we want good information out there because we think students deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nature abhors a vacuum. So exactly. You no. Know, and there, there is, if you look at the, the ease of disseminating information over the internet and social media in particular, it just made it that much easier. Um, the problem with it is that you, you, there is no quality control. Right. And, uh, you know, everybody's got an opinion and um, so much of it is driven from ego. And I think that, um, and by ego, I mean the, uh, the desire to feel like their opinion is the only one that matters. And often uh, the, the ego expresses itself in like a fear-based reaction to uh, any question of the validity of, of their personal thoughts or beliefs. So, you know, if you say, you know, for example, uh, pedal tones are bad, then right. you're going to get people who are just going to be so pissed off at you and call you every name of the book 
because they don't believe that to be true, as opposed to saying, oh, well, you know, hey, if they work for him, then good. Well, that's a, an enormous part uh, of my my problem with what I see going on online. Everything becomes a, a, a binary yes or no, you know, black or white or right or wrong issue. And almost always the, the, there's a nuance there that gets really lost. And so we do try and have a nuanced discussion. Like pedal tones are a great example. That's a great one you watch online. Pedal, everybody has to do pedal tones or that's the secret or you're, you're terrible. Pedal tones are the worst thing that's ever happened. They're going to destroy your face. And really, is, is, anything, is anything really that rigid? You know, it's kind of hard to believe. You know, we'll say, you know, somebody will say, what mouthpiece should you play? And this is the example I use when I do clinics. You could hop online right now and say, what mouthpiece should I play? And someone who has never seen you or ever heard you play will offer you an opinion. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, even I've had freshmen come in and after a couple lessons say, hey, so what do you think of my equipment? And I said, I don't know yet. Like we're still, we're still learning. We're still getting to know each other. I'm still figuring out you're playing. Are you on, a, is the mouthpiece right for you? I don't know. We're still kind of figuring that out. Now, sometimes there are some extremes. You know, you want to watch out for extremes. But, yeah, that idea uh, of everything is either, you know, got to pick a side. You know, are you pro-pedal tones? Are you anti-pedal tones? Well, then then guess what? Then you're either right or you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, you're either a Cowboys fan or you have taste. So well, Yeah, great. but that is a right or wrong issue. Yeah. No one should be a Cowboys fan. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, thinking about pedagogy and the, and the state the state of education of uh, music education today um what do you see as being one of the main holes in the system uh and what are you trying to do to fix that oh that's 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 good well it depends i think there's so many places in the country that has uh, are set up with really good systems but for, for interested students, I think there are lots of places in this country where it's hard to find individualized instruction. Because band directors, uh, one, I think the hardest job in music, in all of music, is not playing Principal Lobo in the New York Phil. It's middle school band director because you have a group of kids that no, none of whom know what they're doing. And you have one person in front that's keeping them all on the same page, right? So for the interested kids that really are interested, the band directors can't both be in charge of the entire group and all of the bands and all of the instruction and take care of each individual. So uh, if there were just, then there are places in the country that really do a good job of bringing individuals, even doing group lessons, but finding individual times. Um, and so, so those students can have that kind of access and really grow. This is where I just grew up thinking, oh, everybody has this opportunity. They just don't want to do it. So at the end of beginning band, I really was into it. I was practicing and I really liked it. So I was like, can I take lessons? And so I started taking lessons and I had a, I had really good band directors. I had really good individual teachers. I had really supportive parents. So yeah, guess what? I got good. It's not like some kind of shock. I had all kinds of great opportunity and was really into it. That doesn't exist everywhere. And if there were some magic way I could have... Every band program in the country have individualized instruction available to those students for, that that really wanted it. Then I'd see we I think we'd see much more interest because there's some I think some students sitting in bands that kind of go, yeah, whatever. This isn't really what I want to do. But if you pulled them out and said, here's what you can do in your instrument as well, 
I think that would spark something. And then the ensembles also get better. And then the kids have more interest in having more fun. The band directors can take them more and more different places musically. That's probably the big one. But there are, like I said, there are places that do that exceedingly well. One of the first colleges I taught at, it's not there anymore, St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana. They went under a couple of years ago. When they hired me, they said, yeah, so you can teach horn too, right? And I said, I mean, well, I know how horn works. I'm certainly not an expert in that area because where they were and the amount that they were paying didn't allow them to bring in somebody who actually played horn as a primary for the majors. That's not great. Yeah. You know, yeah, so that's, that's, I think, probably the best one. Yeah. For me. Um, so when, when you were growing up, you, you said, obviously, you had, uh, you were, you're in a good environment. You had yes. good teachers, you had all these different things. Um, if, if you have someone who, let's say, is not in that, that optimal position, um, and you know, we're just talking about, you know, this is something that needs to be changed that needs to change. What is a stopgap measure that, that you could suggest to people that, you know, if, if you're, if you're that middle school director, uh, somewhere, you know, in middle America, uh, and you just don't have the time or the resources or the, or the skills to really help, uh, a fledgling student who, who has some promise, uh, to, to reach the next level, uh, what would you say, okay, these are some, some of the steps that you could take to help that student move on and, and perhaps find uh, a better source of, of information? Well, this is where the online thing has actually gotten better. You know, I have met some students online, and even if it's not every week, like, okay, play for me, here's what I want you to do next, and really finding, and you need some people to help you figure out what's the good stuff from the bad. But, you know, there are people who've made some really informative videos that can be really helpful and say, okay, what is good? What can you? Uh, I ran into uh, someone I met before whose son is playing trumpet last week. And he said, hey, we watched those videos you put up. It's doing really well. He's really enjoying it. Can I get a picture? And he did really well in the youth competition and was really excited that he played well and had a good time and enjoyed himself because there's some, there's some stuff there. There's plenty of stuff online. It's just finding the good stuff that's hard. So, you know, talk to your band directors and say, okay, I want to, you know, I want to get better at this, but what can I do? And the band directors will go out of their way to help you with this. That's they're, they're going to do well, but if there's nothing in your area and then it's finding it online and then even to the point of maybe taking some online lessons with people that you trust, because uh, then you get some access. Then if, again, if you have the opportunity, if you have the opportunity in the summers, get to some camps because boy, I can't tell you how valuable it is to be around other people that really want to be doing what you're doing and then be able to focus just on that. It's a great, uh, you can just, you'll, you'll just skyrocket at that point. Cool. Well, let me ask you this question. Sure. And I, I'm sure that you, you're going to have to really think hard on this one. Um, what is the stupidest piece of advice you've ever heard <laughs> someone be given? <laughs> wow. Um, that's a hard one. There's so much uh, crap out there. Although one of the ones that we made fun on the podcast just recently uh, is nearly at some point, every triple player has heard, oh, just more air. And that's almost, almost never really that simple. Um, but I'll tell you the one that was the most frustrating for me. And I, I don't know if it was necessarily stupid, but I was told by 
a couple of very, very well-known trumpet players when I was very, very young um, who weren't teachers. They made they seemed to want to prove that to me in teaching me. Uh, I, I got to you know, take like a one lesson here or one lesson there. And I'm somebody who, um, as a kid, I was playing a jazz band. I was playing youth orchestra. I was playing a marching band. I was playing a concert band. I like doing everything. And even now, like, you know, uh, I like playing, you know, classical recital last week and leading a big band last week in the same conference. I want to be able to do more than one thing. And I was told very young, you have to make a choice. If you want to be a classical trumpet player, then that's all you should be doing. If you want to be a lead trumpet player, then that's all you should be doing. And I thought, that doesn't sound right to me. And guess what? It's not. Uh, the idea that some uh, I, I, people have been nice to me and I've been uh, fairly successful in saying, well, you know, but you're different. And I'm like, I'm not. I mean, this is what I want to do and I'm doing it. And lots of people have done that. Look at the people in the studios that have been doing this. And even if we go back to the live TV days, you know, the NBC Orchestra, CBS Orchestra, that were playing live TV in the 50s and 60s before we had, you know, videotape to do these kind of things. Those people came in and it would sound like a symphony orchestra. They would sound like a big band. It would sound like a pop group. They were unbelievably musically versatile. There are all kinds of musicians at the highest level that have been doing this for years and years and decades and decades. You don't have to sacrifice to do that. It's possible. And I want to get that message out more and more and more because I think students hear, well, yeah, but if you want to do that, you have to give up this. Now, you do have to practice more, you know, but what you want to do is possible. And if it's possible, then, you know, if it hasn't been done yet, that just means you get to be the person to do it. But yeah. so I think that may have been the most frustrating. That and just, well, you know, just just more air and that'll take care of everything, you know. Yeah. If you look at look at the throat of your mouthpiece, it's not that big. There's only so much air that's going through that. Oh, that's why you bore it out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Perfect. There's a solution for everything. <laughs> exactly. Blowing the other end. Right. I, I just you come up with something. Absolutely. Um, but you know that, and that was actually something I did want to talk with you about because there is there is that stigma that you cannot be a well-rounded player. Now I'm. You know, to me, being a well-rounded player means, you know, I just eat a lot more carbs and just, you know. Yeah. Wings I, and got, beer. I, I got that part covered, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the the ability, like you're saying, you know, being able to go in and to be a featured soloist, to to play principal, to play in a big band, to play in a, a small uh, combo, to play in a quintet, you know, to, to do all these sort of things and to do it at, at a high level. Um, you know, I think that we have the ability to do that. But I also think that, that there's always going to be one area where you kind of feel a little more secure or a little have a, a little bit uh, stronger grasp, uh, most of which I think comes from, it, which is mostly personality based, you know, the, the thing that you tend to gravitate towards the most. Um, so when you're when you're playing, uh, obviously, you love playing all things, but you know, what, what to you has kind of been the, your, your greatest love. That's so hard because what you, everything you just said, I think is definitely true. Um, oh man, there still is that just playing lead in the back of a big band. When that's right, there's nothing that's more fun to do than that for me. Like that's where, you know, and I've had discussions with good friends, my colleague here, John Rommel, who is an orchestral trumpet player and he's a, actually a fabulous well-rounded player we've done recording stuff which is much more pop and rock and he is always nails um and i've said to him really in the orchestra every week because i never really wanted an orchestra job despite 
going to college where I went to college with all of my friends that are now doing that because in a big band, I'm kind of the concert master. Like when you're playing lead trumpet, you, you know, I've got the melody. I've got, it's fun. It's great. In the orchestra, there are those moments. There are those weeks you circle. But for me, and I look at that and think, okay, this is the Haydn week. And John said to me, he's like, right. But being on stage with that great music and being in that environment. And I said, yeah, but, you know, and he's not wrong. And I've, I've been lucky enough to do that with some, you know, playing extra with some orchestras here and there. And it is, it's a really great experience. But if you're telling me I've got to pick and I've, get, I've got to pick one, when everything's going right, sitting in the back of a big band playing lead is the most fun I can have playing. Yeah. Yeah. And when it goes wrong. Oh, well, that's true of most things, but boy, going wrong, it can be really painful. <laughs> when it goes wrong, it's the drummer's fault. But there it is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. And, and you, you've had that career. I mean, uh, you, you played, uh, like you're saying, playing, played with Maynard and, and, you know, had some, some other, you know, High profile uh, job right. leading leading into the trumpet section. I've done okay. Uh, I've been lucky. That's true. You know, yeah. Um, in your opinion, what is the greatest skill or the the most important skill that a, a lead trumpet player should have? All right. Well, let me let me take the slight detour, and I will answer your question. All right. First off. Uh, Playing the trumpet, I believe, in a technical sense, stylistically neutral. You still got to have great sound, all the great fundamentals built in. So let's assume the great trumpet playing is already taken care of, which I think sometimes in different avenues can be, yeah, well, I don't need that because I'm just going to play lead. No, no, no. I want all of it there. But as a lead player, it's musical consistency. When you're in a big band, you want to be playing musical, musically and have a band know that it's going to be that way all of the time so that they, your big band is then comfortable in knowing, well, right, if Joey's playing, I know it's going to be consistent. And I know it's going to be like this. And uh, you do that, then, boy, your band is comfortable. Your rhythm section is comfortable. You know, your soul is comfortable because then they just know, oh, I don't have to worry about that. And I know it's going to be musical and it's going to be right down the middle. Then everything just is, it feels easier, which then there's no, nerves there's no worry there's no hesitation everybody just play lays out and go and if i can do that for a band and everybody finishes night had a good time and, and it really sounds good then i know that's i think that's the large part of it okay All right. so like if, if we take the idea of having uh these multiple expressions of of your playing so you you're uh doing solo recital you're doing uh big band you're doing quintet um and you have to do them all within the course of a week mm -hmm. how we say um each of those positions has a slightly different requirement uh in terms of sound articulation phrasing things like that um how do you manage staying clear on the requirements in each venue. That's where, right back to the beginning, being a practice guy. So I start my day pretty much the same every day. I get in my office about seven in the morning. Yes, even in the summer. And uh, this is my technical practice stuff, which people can say, um, you know, like my routine or my warm up or everything. I don't think of it that way. I think of it as my technical practice. And I'm going through 
nine trumpets every day, and I'm playing fundamentals of the horn, which, again, I think are stylistically neutral. What that has done to me over the years is then when it's time for performance. That's the first part of the day. Later in my practice days when I'm practicing music. Now, this is where it gets complicated and nuanced because there are not enough hours in the day to practice as much music as I would like to play. And you have to be smart enough to know when that, that if I'm doing two hours in the morning, if I'm doing another 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here, hour here, there's a time where you should stop, right? And especially if you have performances coming up. So that you're always practicing different areas of music so that my theory being, if I'm doing this to myself on a very regular basis, whenever I go out and play music in public, I have been honing those skills and honing those skills and whatever that requirement is. And even what you're talking about, which does happen, I'm going to play a classical recital. I've got a quintet gig and then there's a big band thing on the weekend. Yeah, those happen. Then when I show up, no matter what's there, I'm ready to play whatever that is. Because all of those things are home base. All of those horns are home base. All of those styles are home base. And I'm going to sit down recently. This was a, maybe a couple of months ago. The St. Louis Symphony was here uh, at IU. They were going to do a couple of days. They did a little mini residency. So they'd done some clinics. They'd done some side-by-side. And on Friday at 4.30, my phone rang. And I was just walking into, uh, we were doing a search for our new trumpet professor. We are going to do some Zoom interviews. And it's the personnel manager from the St. Louis Symphony who said, um, Joe, you in Bloomington? And I've played pops with them before. I have a good relationship with the orchestra. And I said, sure. So, you know, we're here. I said, yeah, of course. Um, we need you to come play the concert tonight. Well, what would I be playing? And the first piece is a classical concert. They're doing this, uh, this piece I'd never heard of before. Uh, and then the second piece, they were doing Gershwin Piano Concerto. They said, well, we want to play first on the first piece. You'll be alone on that. And then uh, assistant on Gershwin Piano Concerto for Tom Drake. I said, um, okay, I should have enough time to get home and change clothes. So I went home, changed clothes. What are we wearing? Came back, walked on stage, and, and Austin, who's playing second this year, talked me through, here's what we're doing. The seven eights, you know, three, two, two. And there at the end, there's some fanfare stuff, and we're going to go up here and do that. I said, all right, let's go. I had no idea I was going to be doing that. It didn't, obviously, I had no time to prepare. Or, and this is the hard part, when people think, well, if I have this gig, I'm then going to practice differently. I don't practice differently even on days of performances, which then this was a perfect example. I'd already played three and a half hours that day. I already, I already came in in the morning and done my, my thing, and I'd done some practicing during the day, and I was, uh, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'll go home, and I'll go see the concert. That was my schedule anyway. I ended up playing the concert. I wasn't for lack of a better term, prepared for that. I couldn't set up for that. So I show up and boom, I sit down and read that. And then, then we go out and uh, uh, where do we go? We had went to the Irish Lion, a nice place here in Bloomington where you can get some good food afterwards. But so there's uh, the idea is over the long haul, you, you need to practice two things, the fundamentals of the horn and the music, any kind of music that you want to be prepared with a wide variety and you can't do everything every day. You want to be doing everything regularly, so that you get so that you're then all all trumpets are home base, all music is home base, and then you can really be effective in that way. That's the theory. So far, so good. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll check in with you in another uh, couple decades and see I appreciate how. it. Yeah. yeah. A longitudinal study. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, and that's and I think that's really solid advice, though, for. For younger students, because um, it is becoming 
more important to be more flexible in your your playing to have more versatility um you know like you're saying you know yes back in the back in the day uh if you were on a on like the the nbc orchestra cbs or something like that you, you did have to play a variety of styles but then we kind of got into this point where trumpet playing became very very specific yeah, you, know, yes. you, you know, it's like, well, you're going to be, you're training to be a, a principal player. You're going, you're training to do this. And uh, so um, now though, there aren't as many jobs, you know, if, if, if your goal is to be a principal trumpet player, uh, how many working orchestras are there, you know, that need a, a principal trumpet player? Yeah. How, but how many possible gigs are there out there? The number of gigs, there's still plenty, but if you're only able to play that one style or that that one approach to playing, then you've limited yourself, you're painting yourself in a corner. So um, I know that, you know, for, you, for yourself as an, as an educator, um, how do you help to instill that concept in your students that you need to keep your, your you need to keep your options open? I, well, I think two things. I'm never telling my students what I think they should be doing, but what I actually believe is that being more musically versatile will make you better at anything narrow because you're exactly right. Jobs have gotten more and more narrow in their focus. But if we look at the people that we've always found to be most successful in those jobs, by far most of them have a musically diverse background. So we all like to point to Bud Herseth in the 20th century as probably the defining orchestral trumpet player. Because he was, and he was great, and he was amazing. What was he doing before that? You know, he was playing in dance bands in the Navy. Okay, so he wasn't just sitting around practicing excerpts. That's not how he got where he got. And we look at Phil Smith, right, who was in New York, the New York Philharmonic, and was astounding for decades and decades and decades, who goes and plays cornet with the Salvation Army Band. And, you know, so many... You know, there's so many orchestral players that, that don't think of themselves as soloists because that's such a completely different thing. and You couldn't do both. I don't know. Phil Smith did a really good job of doing both for a long time. So we see those people and go, well, wait a minute. If these are the people we look up to and they're more musically diverse, why aren't, you know, why aren't we thinking the musical diversity is actually helping us become great at the one thing we want to do? Because if I have a student tell me, listen, this is the one thing I want to do, and that's it, I'm not going to tell them they should be doing something else. I'm going to say, to be able to do that well, you want to have a lot of skills. You know, and those are always, those are two easy examples to point to because, they, you know, they're examples all of us know. But, you know, just older than me is Wynton Marcellus and that uh cornet album he did at Eastman he did when I was an undergrad so I would go by and watch as many rehearsals as I could and thought well I've heard these jazz records you know and then I watch him play those cornet solos and it's just astounding and there are the people who are thinking well you can't really do both and I'm like that guy seems to be doing a, a pretty good job of doing both his trouble playing is astounding and then what music does he want to play Boy, it seemed to work really well for him. So that musical versatility, I actually think, you know, and Winton certainly, as his career went on, has definitely focused to the jazz side because that's what he wanted to do. But certainly, had he wanted to do anything else, I have a feeling he would have been just as successful. That's just where he wanted to go. So I actually think the musical, having the versatility, makes you better no matter what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. I know that makes absolute sense. 
Yeah, and you know there is the trade-off, um, and by the trade-off, we, I'm talking about the trade-off of time mm-hmm. and energy. You know, if if you want to do more, then you are going to have to put in a, a little extra. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, 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 this is my phrase. It's in addition to, not instead of. Yeah. You want to do more? That's in addition to. That's correct. Yeah. So you know, it, it's understanding that, that you are going to have to make that, and and at some point you may have to make that decision of, well, I only have X amount of hours. Maybe you're not a, a full time professional. You're you're somebody like me who who plays regularly, but you know, this is this isn't my full time gig. Right. So I. I have other things that I have to do to make up for the fact that I'm not gigging. So, uh, you know, that limits my ability to spend time practicing my horn. So I have to become more judicious about how I approach uh, my practice regimen, which is absolutely, you know, just have a couple of drinks and look at my trumpet. Uh, <laughs> I thought about practicing, uh, but no, it, it's making those decisions. And for me, it's always about, I don't care what somebody's decision is. It's just be happy with your decision. Right. You know, it's like, this is what you decided. This is what you're getting. Okay. If you, if you're not happy, then make a new decision, but but don't, don't complain about the fact that you don't have what you want because you know, you haven't done the work that you needed to do. Oh, this is enormous. This is, I think a big part of my job. I think of this like the matrix problem, right? In in the matrix, he gave Keanu Reeves, uh, uh, Morpheus gave Keanu Reeves a, a choice at the beginning. Listen, now that you know what the real world's like, you can either stay here or you can go back and you'll never know. Right. What I tell my students is I'm not giving you the choice. What I'm showing, what I'm showing you is this is the amount of work it takes. And this is what you're going to need to do to be able to, to get a, have a shot at, at a really good professional career that you want. If you don't want to do that work, that's fine. That's exactly what you're saying. Then you just want to find what you do and find something else to do. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, that has been my secret to life, you know, and that's just the way I approach things. And it, it works for me because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm relatively even keeled and, you know, everybody's got, you know, those moments, but, you know, I don't get too stressed out about stuff because it's like, okay, well, that's the choice I made. And yeah. All right. Yeah. But I got to go with it, you know, right. Win, lose or draw. So, all right. Well, I tell you what, I mean, we could certainly talk for hours about so many different things but i, I have no idea what you mean um, i'm a little i'm a little chatty yeah, yeah a, little, <laughs> a little just a bit. Um, uh, but i do have three segments i need to get through these are our standard segments sure on the trumpet gurus hang and the first segment is called sound off and this is uh, sponsored by my good friend michael barkley of barkley microphones um and it's about your approach to sound and i guess a way I'd, I'd like to to address this is um you know, we talk about the the natural sound, your natural sound in the trumpet, uh, having a, a good trumpet sound. But because you are playing in these different venues, uh, there are some nuances to the sound. So what are some of the ways that you could suggest uh, for people to approach developing the versatility in their sound without sacrificing the core nature of a, of a solid trumpet sound? That's it's really important. First, I want you to uh, I want to quantify as best we can. So there are two words I use all of the time, and they are full and clear. You got to make sure that your sound is full and resonant, and that it's clear and there's nothing in it, right? So, and that's the that's primary, no matter what you're doing, because if your sound is full and clear, now you have something to work with. Then 
there is nothing more important than listening to think, what do I want to sound like? Right. And that's what's going to lead you to the right thing. So if you first first job first, your sound is full and clear, then you're on the right path. Then you think, all right, if I want to play in an orchestra, you should be listening to those orchestral trumpet players and listening for I want to sound like that and put headphones on, get in a practice room and play along. And you want to be matching exactly. Same thing if you want to be a jazz player. Who's your favorite jazz player? Play along with those recordings. But first and foremost, get the technical part down. And then second part, play along. This is the great part. You know, I'm an old man. When I was in college, we had cassette players. And if you wanted to play through something, we'd play. And it was, sound was okay. And then you hit rewind and it wouldn't be in the same place. But the idea of you can walk in with your phone and a really good pair of headphones and be playing along with the best players in the world. Oh, why aren't we doing this all the time? I do it in my office all the time. So put put the big speakers on and play. And you're going to find that that's going to lead you to, ah, you're going to play. And if you're already fundamentally sound when you're playing along with those people, that's going to lead you into their sounds. And you're going to find that. Your ears are going to lead you to the right place. All right. Very solid advice. Um, next segment. Next segment is called Geared Up. Uh, it's brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, Venture, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code TrumpetGurus21 to get 10% off your order. Uh, geared Up is about gear, uh, something that I know you hate talking about, <laughs> like every trumpet player. Um, well, and again, this, this, this thing on this versatility tip, um, you have to sometimes do seven trumpets in 60 minutes and uh, gear can be uh, when you're switching between gear, uh, there's obviously going to be a little bit of a change, mm -hmm. uh, but what are some of the things that you do to ensure that you have a level of consistency with your gear and uh, you know, maybe some basic concepts of, you know, approaches of uh, for a student who's looking to, uh, you know, maybe up their gear game a little bit. Uh, what are some of the, the things that you suggest looking at and looking for uh, in the equipment that you choose? Yeah, this I could talk about for the next hour and a half. So I'll do my best. Uh, this is why I practice the way I practice. I get here in the morning and I play all, I play through all the horns and on all different mouthpieces that I'm expected to use, right? So before 9 a.m., I've played nine trumpets and probably nine trumpets and 10 mouthpieces by by 9 a.m. So that, so that whatever comes up during the day, and especially as a teacher, if a student's coming in, they're working on piccolo, I already played piccolo. If they're coming in and working on a cornet solo, I forgot my cornet, B flat, C, excerpts, whatever. Um, so that all of them feel like home base. But then put yourself in that situation. So here's an example. Uh, a lot of students, when they come to college, uh, it, they're just learning how to play C trumpet. So Get out in the back of the Arvin's book and find those 150 classic and popular melodies. And you're going to play the, you know, play number one on B flat trumpet as written, and then read it up a step on C. And then pick up your C trumpet, go right to it, and play it as written. They should sound really, really similar and really, really good. And then you're just going back and forth. And then go, okay, on C, I'll read it down a step, and then go to B flat. It should be the same. So that you're basically making those horns interchangeable. So it's not, well, how do I have to play it, but what could I do? Right. And this goes for the commercial players out there. You have flugelhorns. You should be practicing your flugelhorn every day. So when you pick it up on a bandstand, it doesn't feel like, oh, right, it's flugel. It's right. I'm going to play some flugel. It's actually a double, not something you just play when, you know, it's in the charts. Find stuff to do on these horns every day, technically and musically, so that when you're out and performing, 
that's all. Whatever I'm picking up is going to be just fine. One of the things I did on my seven horns in 60 minutes is I left all the horns on stage. I'd already practiced, and I went up on there. The first thing I started was with piccolo, and I put that down, and I chatted for a little bit, and I just picked up the next horns as I went through, and I never played a note in between. Now, I wasn't doing that to be show-offy. That's just how I didn't really conceive of it until a couple of people afterwards came up and said, so you didn't check. You didn't test. You didn't play any notes. I'm like, no. So how did you uh, practice them all the day? Uh, practice, I mean, I'm at home with each. You want to build each one of them into a home base. And this goes especially to aspiring young lead players that have a lead mouthpiece. And the only time they play that lead mouthpiece is when they're in jazz band and it's time to play lead. And then it's never quite, it's always a little weird getting going. It takes a while to dial in. You should be practicing on that mouthpiece as well so that when you put that in, that's home base. You got it. So you want to build that home base into all of your equipment. Well, that's a lot of work. It is. It's true. It's a lot of work, but I'm going to tell you, it's totally worth it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so when you talk about the playing, uh, multiple mouthpieces um obviously you know if if you're playing b flat and e flat and cornet and flugelhorn you're not going to use the same mouthpiece for, right. for all of them um or if you're playing uh you know principal you may not want to use the same mouthpiece if you're playing lead in the big band uh you can but you may not yeah. want yeah, for, uh, mo for most people, that doesn't work well. Yeah. And me included. Yeah. yeah. So um, if if you're going to have to, for you, for you let's, let's speak specifically to you, um, how have you approached your mouthpiece selection? What aspects do you try to keep consistent through the mouthpieces? And what adjustments do you feel are necessary for the individual instruments? Uh, I haven't worried so much about consistency. I know some people like having the same rims or all that kind of stuff. I don't really care much about that. I also play bass trumpet every day, and that's a trombone mouthpiece. So uh, I'm not worried about the different sizes of it. I'm always looking for, am I getting the right sound of that instrument? So when I pick up a cornet, there are people who just use essentially cut-down trumpet mouthpieces on cornet, and it's easier, but it doesn't really sound like a cornet. Same thing on flugel. You know, you want to make sure you're, you're using a mouthpiece that really makes that sound like a flugel, really makes that sound like a cornet. You're getting the appropriate sound for B-flat trumpet in a concert band or orchestra or B-flat trumpet in a jazz band. So I'm looking for that, the right, the, the right sound coming out the bell. Yeah. So you're, you're not the... Uh... Let's keep the rims consistent or the diameters consistent or. No, not, and I know, and I know friends of mine that it, that's important and it works for them. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, that was, that was a question about you personally. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. My mouthpiece sizes are all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, certainly if you're playing bass trumpet too, I mean, you, you can't play that with the same diameters. Right. And I just played, uh, Bill Stoneman wrote me a piece for my recital last week, and it's an unaccompanied piece, the first movements on B-flat trumpet. And at the end of the piece, you turn, you play a note, and you put down the B-flat, pick up the flugel, play the same note, and then you play the second movement all on flugelhorn. And at the end of that movement, you turn and play a note, last note, pick up the bass trumpet, play the same note on that, and then play the third movement. So I want those all to, I mean, those are very different rim cup all the way through and you're literally no stop all three movements it's a very cool piece i, I hope oh. to make uh like a little stage recording of it this summer like a live on stage recording so you can see and hear it it's very cool yeah 
I think it should be a fourth movement where you go to pick. I'll get him on that. Yeah. I like that idea. I mean, how, uh, how do you feel doing, uh, I mean, I, I could see going from, from B flat to flugel to, to bass, but how about if that went the other direction? I think it'd be fine. I mean, with the Trump Mundi group, you know, I'm the one that plays, I'm the one that said, wouldn't it be cool to have a bottom octave? And I've been practicing the bass trumpet. So I do the bass trumpet and I've gone back and forth from to the bass and from the bass kind of to every, everything, including, including piccolo. So I think it'd be okay. So. Well, we'll get Bill on that. We'll get so, Bill on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, Bill, you have your marching orders. <laughs> All right. Get to work. All right. All right uh, final segment. Final segment is brought to us by Robinson's Remedies, rapid relief for your sore and tired chops. This is the Robinson's Remedies rapid fire round. It's hard to say. Um, and this is a series of questions that bounce all over the place. And uh, we're going to see how quickly Mr. Tartell can answer this series of bizarre questions. So, Joey, are you ready? Excited. I'm very excited. All right. I'm going to. I need to get like a buzzer. <laughs> exactly. Start the clock. Yeah, start the clock. Yeah. All right, here you go. First question. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Wow. Oh, my gosh. You just froze me up with the first one. Um, uh, uh, probably my high school band director. He was really amazing. His name was William Giles Brady. All right. Uh, what is your favorite book? Oh, that's way too hard. Um, fiction, nonfiction, I have qualifications all the way through. Uh, in the last 10 years, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, very good book. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, worst movie. That's, oh, uh, I was just talking about it. It's really bad. Uh, it's the Time time Bandits. I was trying to remember it. Okay. Horrible. I stood up in the end with one of my friends, went, we need our 335 back. It's really bad. You should watch it. I have. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? I think if I weren't a trumpet player, I'd be a high school math teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that to be a good skill. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Oh, I'm a diet. I have a huge Diet Coke problem. There's usually one in my hand. Okay. Um, you're uh, going to have a dinner party. And at this dinner party, you can invite any three living people excluding friends or family they're already counted in but any three living people who would you want to have non they don't have to be trumpet players no any three people in the world any three people in the world okay uh i want to hang out with barack obama because i think we could play basketball and we'd be friends um and he seems cool um uh, i do want uh i want to talk to i want to talk to winton uh i've met him but i don't know him and i find him to be a fascinating person i get one more i get one more Oh, gosh, Kevin Durant. I want to talk Kevin Durant because he's kind of quiet. He doesn't do a lot of the interviews. I want to, uh, but I, I'm a big fan. Okay. All right. You have three additional chairs at your table and you can invite any three people from history. Oh, from history. Oh, my gosh. Holy crap. Uh, Bach. I want to hear. Now, I'm assuming I, we're going to have a translator there. The amount of music that that guy put out, I need to, I need to know about that. Um, any from history, Benjamin Franklin seems like a crazy person that I need to talk to. Um, who else from all of history? I wasn't prepared for this question. So I got Bach, I've got Ben Franklin, and I'm probably going to need one more. I need one more. Who would that be? Oh, um, uh, uh, hmm. 
That'd be the same era. I think George Washington, because I think he's a little smarter than people give him credit for. He's a general. They made president said, you want to be king? And he said, no, I need to talk to that guy. Yeah. That's a smart guy. That's a smart dude. Yeah. All right. Lacquer, plated, or raw? Oh, I, I, I'm not that picky, but I like lacquer. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite quote? Hmm. I, mm, I don't know that I have a favorite quote. I'll get back to you on that. I have to pass. It'll come to me at the end. Favorite quote. You can call in the landline. Okay. <laughs> I have to phone a friend. You phone a friend. All right. Uh, what is your greatest fear? Oh, wow. Um, wow. Uh, that's good. They're silly ones. Like, I, I don't like spiders. I don't think those are my greatest fears. Um, uh I think sudden, a sudden loss, like not of me, but of other people. I worry about, I have friends that I, I friends and family that the idea of, of it being gone, I watch it happen around me and I do worry about that. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? I think flight. I'd like to be able to, to, be able to just put a backpack on and go. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Hmm. Overrated. Uh, I think high notes. I think every, I think people don't think they can get them, and they can, and so they get fascinated by high notes. Where I think anybody could do it. Okay. Uh, what aspect do you think is the most underrated? A clear and pure sound. I think people get good sounds, and when I hear a great sound, oh, there's nothing like it. All right. Um, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music, what would it be? One piece of advice. I just thought of three. Um, I would say this. Uh, that's not right. One piece of advice. It would have to be believe you can do it. Okay. And while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. One piece of advice about life. Um, enjoy it. I think we worry too much. Mm, all right. And a final question for you, Mr. Joey Tartell. What do you want your legacy to be? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never considered that. Uh, gosh, my legacy to be... Um, uh, great trumpet teacher, great trumpet player. That's uh, if 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 people really believe both of those things, I'll be happy. All right, and uh, a man with uh, immaculate uh, style and taste. <laughs> Excellent. Fashion, fashion sense, yes. our excellence. Well, Joey, thanks, man, for taking time to uh, to talk with me today. Uh, this has been great. You're you're definitely one of my favorite hangs. Uh, I always would look forward to to catching up with you at, and in at the events uh maybe next time i can actually make one of them so. I, yeah i hope so i had to miss one this year i'm hoping that we, as they come back and are back in person we all are back out yeah absolutely yeah. but i wish you nothing but the best in your uh, future endeavors and uh certainly will uh be on the lookout for all that new stuff that you have going on and i hope to, to hear that piece that that uh, bill wrote for you so absolutely I, I yeah love to catch that one it's cool so, uh, uh 
And uh, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. And make sure you like and subscribe and share this with friends. And while you're liking and subscribing this podcast, make sure you do the same thing for for Joey's uh, podcast, which is titled The The Open Bell, uh, which you can find uh, all the places that you listen to your podcast, just like us. So uh, thanks again for joining us and peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. 